When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter, what is west of west in the shadows in the east? This is Casterly Talk, the Game of Thrones rewatch. We are back up. Last week we answered your questions, kind of caught up with listener questions, but now this week we're going to continue our rewatch, which again is more than just rewatch. We're looking into the lessons, the themes, what makes the show so memorable, and that would include the characters. And this episode, season two, episode three, What is Dead May Never Die, introduces a couple memorable characters in season two, and one of them is Brienne of Tarth. So there's no way we're going to do this episode without our special guest and contributor here tonight, Rachel Cushing. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Yes, you cannot. Do, we cannot do the introduction of Brienne of Tarth without me. I just can't. <laughs> we 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 cannot. Will not. Wouldn't dream of it. Uh, this is a character that's tremendously important to you. The other character that makes a big debut here is Marjorie Tyrell. I do love Marjorie. I think you love Marjorie as well. What she brought to the show. What's uh, what she brings to the game. We're going to dive into that. Um, but we talk. We want to talk Brienne, and we want to talk uh, your thoughts on season two. Everyone who's. Uh, coming on to the show, uh, we had Michelle Boyd last uh, last yeah. episode review. Mark Kamire is coming on next week from the Feeding the Monster podcast. Uh, we have that one in the can, and I, I asked him the same question I want to talk to you about here, which is season two, Rachel. Your thoughts, your thoughts um, then, now, where the, where the season kind of falls for you, and what you learned or what, what changed after it uh, kind of came out. It's definitely one of those seasons that I think grows on you each time. I think, you know, rewatching is so amazing for a show like this because with perspective of how it ends or where it goes, you just have, you pick up on so much more when you rewatch. A lot of times season two kind of gets hit with the like, it's a little slow moving at first. There's not a lot of, in season one, you're just constantly meeting new people. You're constantly going to new places. And there's all this momentum built up around Ned. This season, we get a few new characters, which really does help. But there is also still a sense of just moving the pieces around the board. And, you know, uh, a general criticism tends to be, you know, Danny's storyline starts out real slow. Yeah. To some extent, Arya's does. Like, it's you, you're kind of waiting to get some pieces to certain places. And then once they do, you know, the ball starts rolling down the hill so much faster. Um, but on rewatch, you just, you catch all the little things yeah. and you catch all of these introductions that you take one way when you first see it. And then you, you know, yeah. have an entirely new journey to discover over the course of the series. And it's funny because I wanted to do this episode. I claimed this episode like when you first said we were doing this podcast because yeah. Brienne of Tarth. But I'd forgotten that Marjorie is introduced in the same episode. And Marjorie has almost more of an impact here. Mm -hmm. Like she really comes out swinging in a way you don't expect. Pun intended, because so does Brienne. But yeah. like it's great one-two punch when you think about it, especially mm -hmm. for female characters on the show. Yeah. And it was fun to watch in anticipation of Brienne and then go like, Oh yeah, Marjorie's in this too. Yeah. And she has one of the better, mm. shall we say sex position scenes that mm. are, have been done in the series, you know, yeah. shirt off, but saying a lot of great stuff. <laughs> so yeah. there's, you know, um, it was really cool to, to revisit this episode in particular and realize that, you know, it's all about all of these pieces happening. Mm. And this is an early Brian Cogman episode. I think yeah. it's the second one he wrote, which, you know, we all know we love Brian because yeah. he's the lore guy. Um, and he added some really interesting things to this episode because we're still very, you know, with the books at this point. Yeah. But he added a few touches that make a real big impact, I think. 
Uh, well said. There's uh, great stuff from from Cogman. You can even just go to the Wikipedia entry for this episode, and there's some interviews yeah. to, to quickly g- gather for, uh, uh, just facts from about what he added his first draft of script being all, almost three hours long, which I imagine a Game of Thrones lore guy adapting the show. It's probably going to do that every time. Like every little scene's got to get in there. Um, yeah. We are going to talk about Marjorie. You're right. That is uh, uh, just her whole introduction, and then that episode, uh, that uh, little moment with Renly, a sex position scene, indeed, but uh, one with great power uh, and purpose behind it and her. And and I mean, watching it again and taking notes, it's like, just like, yeah, I, the, you could you could obviously stop on the surface of some of this uh, the stuff with her, and there's nothing just on the surface with Marjorie, and, and we'll talk about that, but. We, we don't want to bury the lead. We do, you did, when I sent out an email to Andreas Lawn, who still, we still got to get Lawn on, uh, Thomas and the gang, um, it's like, hey, we're going to do this. And you were like, I need this episode. There's some other ones you love, but you're like, I need this episode. Yeah. Um, and it's Brianna Tarth. So you as a longtime book reader, uh, you, you were waiting for this moment. You love this character. You, you, this character has been with you a long time. So let's let's dive into the Brienne of it all. What she means to you? Why you got pulled in by the character? And and uh, Gwendolyn Christie, uh, did she live up here to your expectations? I'm gonna guess yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Especially because we know where it goes and where she goes as a character. And though different than the books, you know, this is one of the storylines that I do think that the show landed uh, all the way through. And that was you know a, a quite a bit of a relief for me for the most yeah. part. Um, but for me. I mean, the, it's the obvious answer. It's the Aowen of it all. It's mm. a woman fighting against what is expected of her in a man's world. Yeah. And so many of our female characters do that. But Brienne does it in such this very specific way um, mm. about wanting to be a knight and what that means. And it's an interesting idea because it's a, it's a concept that Martin sort of deconstructs. Because yeah. even in this episode, you have this whole... You know, all the scenes with Renly are so positive and colorful and full of pageantry. And it's this idea of chivalry. And they have no idea what the real world is like. They don't know what war is like. Catelyn basically calls them all children. They're playing games, which is a very big theme in the episode, playing games. And it's this, you know, idea, ideal that gets you know, all these characters, that bubble gets burst. And that's true for Brienne, too. She has trauma for having grown up wanting to be this way and having been made fun of her whole life for it. But in this moment, she believes in the ideal, too. If I win this fight, then I get to be part of the Kingsguard, and then I will gladly die for my king. Like, that's all she kind of wants. It's all we really get from her in this episode. And that's pretty naive much in the same way as so many of our characters have been naive about this world. And so then it's about their journeys in confronting that naivete and navigating their way through the world with that in mind. And I just love, I love her and Kat's first meeting. It's not really full of like, they don't get each other at all. And it's very clear, but there is something at the core of both of them, a strength, that they will connect over and then that will get passed along to Bran's relationship with both Sansa and Arya. And I love that. I love seeing that sort of at odds first meeting, Mm -hmm. knowing where it goes and knowing what Bran will have to endure, but ultimately will still find a way to do what she's trying to do, which is find her place in the world. That's what so many of these characters are trying to do. I, I love too that you started this all. You said she kind of has these simple goals in a way, right? Difficult yeah. goals maybe to achieve in this world, but uh, she's got the strength. She's got the skill. She's got the desire to serve on the queen, uh, King's guard as, uh, as uh, Renly's, you know, sworn protector there. And then oaths and oath keeping and getting the sword mm-hmm. oath keeper later on and, and the oath to Catelyn. I say simple again. It's a, it's a complicated world, but that kind of carries on through all the way to the end, almost to when she is is knighted. And to me, I always took that, in, and I can't wait to kind of rewatch that and dive into that more. But yeah. as the oath fulfilled, that's a new mm-hmm. oath. That's a new oath, and, and and we know. But but it's like to me, that was a bit of the end of the journey for me. A lot more in her her, her season there, of course. But anyways, uh, not to simplify anything with Brand. It's just I, I like what you said though. It's just like the goals are pretty well stated with Brand. Yeah. Mm. Go ahead. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to cut you off on Brienne. Talk. <laughs> no, I, I fully agree, and I and I love that. While she does get to be a knight in the end, which is the sort of simple goal at this stage, yeah. the road that gets her there is full of a lot of 
trauma and revelations for her, you know, it, yeah. it, it, it similar to so many of the characters, which is that, you know, you have to have your eyes open to the world and realize that things aren't as black and white as you think they are. And she will have that happen basically through her relationship with Jamie. Yeah. And it, that's one of the reasons why I love that relationship so much too, because it doesn't change her at her core. It doesn't change her core goals and why she wants those goals, yeah. but it does shift her perspective. And I think that's important. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm also, I keep saying I'm on these two separate rewatches for the show. I'm in season two. Um, Grace and I've kind of just started, she started watching. Now we're in season five and to watch Brienne in season five, which is oh, season five overall is just a kind of a dark season, but yeah. Um, to see her kind of watching and waiting and hoping and, 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 and praying kind of in a way that she can help Sansa yeah. to see where she goes. She definitely goes through a lot, but we, we talked about this before, but in this world of, of complicated characters, this is someone who is good from the beginning, good to the end and remains pretty solid all the way through as a good person. And, uh, I love Bran for that. You know? Me too. No sacrificing. She knows she she <laughs> discovers who she is, but deep down, she I think she knows uh, yeah. knows how to do. Let's dive into some of the the the, the themes and lessons of this episode. Uh, there's uh, you mentioned one I definitely want to talk about. There's some some ideas of hard truths for me, sacrificing who you are, but games. Wicked Games, which later on became one of the themes for Game of Thrones, right? Uh, the cover version of that. Uh, we got a, we got a bunch of games. Rachel, what do you got for games in this episode? I love how the show is called Game of Thrones. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of hints. We have, you know, you either play the Game of Thrones, you, you either win or you die in the first season. But I love this episode because it's really clearly delineating the players who understand the game that they're playing in and the players who don't. And the lessons are to learn that, to figure out which game you're playing in and figure out the other players, figure out who has the power. Hence that amazing scene between Varys and Tyrion that has been dissected a million ways to Sunday for, you know, people in the riddle and, and power resides where men believe it resides. Um, And, those that think they have it or want it are playing the game to get it or keep it. So it's yeah. just such an interesting idea, but I love the juxtaposition of people who think they're playing well and, you know, people yeah. like Theon, Yeah, you know, he, he thinks he's playing a real major role as Rob's right-hand guy is going to get his dad and his, you know, home country to fall in line and, uh, mm-hmm. and, Mm-hmm. Do, do fealty to Rob and we're going to get Kessley rock out of this. Like yeah. he thinks he's like, he's in it. And then his dad slaps that down real fast. And he has to do some serious quick soul searching to figure out what it is he wants. Again, another character yeah. trying to figure out where they fit. It's the complete character arc for Theon eventually, you know, yeah. is he a Stark? Is he a Greyjoy? You know, where, where does his fealty really truly lie? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have people, and, and similarly, I think Renly thinks he's got a lot of power. I got a hundred thousand guys at my back. Yeah. It's yeah. not as simple as that. And that's why you love Marjorie because she comes in and understands it better than he does, mm-hmm. you know? And she's like, you know, save your lies. Don't lie to me, save your lies. Because when you get to court, that's when you need to, to play the game. Yeah. Catelyn tells him, you know, you, my son is off fighting in a war while you're playing at one. And then she, she, she basically says to Renly, like, you're all basically sons of summer yeah. and you don't understand. This is all just a game to you, but she knows because she's seen what war is and seen the toll that it takes. And so all this pageantry and highfalutin ideas and proclamations, mm. they're going to get their bubbles burst real quick. Real <laughs> so, quick. It's, it's it's all tied into that, but I really loved how many times the word game came up in this episode because it is. It's Game of Thrones. Yeah. You're all playing. So yeah. now you have to figure out what who you're playing against, what the rules are. There probably aren't any rules. That's the thing you have to learn, That's too, yeah. and how to navigate. And then the quintessential scene is one of the best edited, as an editor, best edited scenes in the show is Tyrion laying out his scheme, his trap for Pycelle, for Mm. Varys, and for Peter. And the way that's edited all around the don't tell Cersei line where you jump scenes and you don't even realize that's what you're doing. It's him playing that game and playing those three players perfectly. 
Yeah. And that encapsulates that somebody who knows what the game that they're playing, at least in that moment, the rules are going to change on him and he's going to have a fall from grace and he's going to have to refigure it all out. But in this moment, in this season, we all know this is Tyrion's season. This is when he is the hand and he is doing it right and he's playing the game and he understands. But I do love that it's Varys who kind of makes him think a little harder about it in terms of playing the game and what it really truly means for who has the power. Such a great scene. I, I forgot to do the stats. I was the original air date of this was April 15, 2012. Alex Sakharov is the director. He was this mostly cinematographer in season mm-hmm. one, makes a big move. Cogman, like you mentioned, cinematographer PJ Dillon and Katie Weiland is the editor. And you're right. That sequence is so good. And game comes up a lot. Just cat, cat herself. Uh, it's a game to you, is what she mm-hmm. says. Uh, then going down there, because either the night's of summer and winter is coming, uh, my son is fighting war, not playing one. So you're so right to pull that stuff out, Rachel. And, and going back to Marjorie here for a second, uh, I think maybe we can dive into that scene with, with Renly. I mean, she's... it's. I actually want to start here. When we first meet her, just going with what we see on the show. We know Natalie Dormer, I believe, was 29 when she plays Marjorie this season. Uh, the character was 15 in the books. So obviously, they aged it up as with the, a lot of characters kind of yeah. needed uh, for TV. Um, I've always looked at uh, even the opening moments as cats there kind of jarring, uh, you know, jabbing at, at, at Renly and um, uh, the whole stuff with, with, with Brienne that, that, I wonder what Marjorie believes in that moment. Is she just like, this is our best bet for the king. Um, and and uh, how far, you know, she's got Queen of Thorns, you know, whispering her ear probably back home. I just, I love the opening uh, scene with her just because in her eyes, there's just the game. She's already getting ahead of the game to me, you know? Absolutely. And again, sometimes a little bit of hindsight helps with that or the book reading, too, to some yeah. extent. But I think that she's mature, more mature in the show, not just in age, but in yeah. the her goals and how to achieve them. But yeah, for me, it's once we meet Olena, then yeah. you think back to this and you go, oh, uh, OK. You know, she's learning from the best. She's yeah. learning what it means to manipulate a situation. Yeah. Renly is absolutely has power in the sense that he has an army. And that that is a certain kind of power. So now it's, I'm sure, Marjorie thinking, how do I turn this to my advantage? As we know from, I don't know if it's the next episode or the episode after that, uh, she doesn't want to just be a queen. She wants to be the queen. And to get there, this is what she has to do. And she's got pieces to work with here. There's no denying it. And I like the idea that, She's so very supportive of Renly up on that dais looking over the the um, the, the fight. Yeah. And I do think it's a fun juxtaposition to watch Catelyn's reaction to everything that's happening versus her reaction to everything that's happening. And then just for the fun of it, to watch Loris's reaction yeah, yeah. when Brienne is av- <laughs> revealed. I love him in the background going, what? How, I just got beat by a girl. Yeah. Like it's it, it's it's a fun uh, Finn Jones moment in yeah. the background. Uh, petulant little uh, jealous boy there. Yeah. But um. It, but yeah, you. I always get the sense that Marjorie is very much paying attention to everything that's yeah. going on around her. And then you get the big reveal in the tent where it's not just she's paying attention; she understands this to the point of, mm-hmm. oh, you're sexually involved with my brother. Don't care. Yeah. Not important to what it is my goals are. We can yeah. still achieve my goals and your goals, and you can have that too. But yeah. here's how we get there. And it's like, wow, yeah. that's, for lack of a better phrase, rather progressive yeah. <laughs> for well, this world. Yeah. Well, she actually says no need for us to play games. She says that line. Yeah. And you're so right. Mm-hmm. Game game shows up a lot in this episode. And I was just kind of laughing because, number one, um, the the she you know one of the best arrives one of the best at playing the game has arrived her and she's like no need for us to play games and I, I don't think she's playing games with with Renly I think there's an affinity there and a sincerity she she knows they're married and whatever you know version uh, it is um, but uh, you know what I mean like I, I just love that scene again because uh, we you and I have talked uh, uh, before about season one uh, the sex position and that phrase being coined and and the show sometimes you know i think over the years especially early would lean into that i think there's times where it's great for the character uh melisandre is someone who uses her sexuality as as a, as a weapon even though carice van houten has said eh, maybe they she used it too much for me but um uh this is one of those scenes where it's not 
there's nothing surface on it for me. She comes in and, you know, takes the dress off. Yeah, that's great. But, and, and, and Renly, and I want to talk about some of the stuff with Renly, uh, with that, but just, it is, uh, it serves a great purpose. And I, I love when the scenes, um, the, the sex position type of scenes, quote unquote, I love when they actually do provide a great big purpose and, and they're not just thrown on the screen to be there. Yeah. Because there is empowerment in a mm. woman owning her own body yeah. and, you know, a lot of the scenes are are a lean so much into the actual sex of the mm-hmm. scene, like the Peter Baelish, you right. know, yeah. um, scenes and whatnot. That yeah. that's where it gets a little bit harder for me. But something like this is this isn't actually a sexy scene. He's no. couldn't be less interested in her. Yeah. You know, she's just there's something behind it. It's, you know, this is just a body. My mind is actually way more important in this moment, what I can do, what we can do together, what we can accomplish. And so it's almost like I stop seeing Mm. the nakedness and I start seeing the person. And if a scene can transcend that way, I think then that's where it's working. And there's this idea here that uh, Marjorie, we, we, we've been talking about it uh, on, on the show. Um, uh, going to the, even the end of her of her character's arc and her death, it's it, it's it's a it's a death, it's a defeat. But Marjorie goes out knowing and is mm-hmm. it, it, you know trying to tell everyone to leave. And and uh, Natalie Dormer has said that 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 I was very happy with that, very proud of that 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 character kind of stayed ahead of it, even though she might have lost, she stayed ahead of it. And you, right. so so you go that and go back to here. Um, Marjorie, you know, she, she, she's the main character in the show, but we don't spend as much time with her as others in season five. She, you know, uh, in six, uh, bad things start to really, really happen to her. Um, but I'm um, going back to this scene, Rachel, all the stuff you're saying here. If, if people had just listened to Marjorie here, it might've <laughs> gone different too. <laughs> like yep. if Renly had been able to just, all right, yeah, let's play this game. Uh, you know, it's easier said than done, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm uh, so I, I've always been impressed with the character of Marjorie Ty- Tyrell. One of my favorites uh, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. So a lot of other games, actually let's talk this, this, this Tyrion, uh, little Tyrion game. This is one of the best Tyrion moments. It's one of the more, mm-hmm. I'd say memorable. You, you said it so right. Edited so well. Um, but, um, he, season two is, is Tyrion season, like you said, and, and this is, uh, this is his big, uh, I, I call it his coming out party as, as a, as a, as a tactician in this game mm-hmm. plays so well. And one of the two, two things I love about it, uh, Pycelle, he's bested Pycelle without a doubt. Varys, yeah. I've always get the sense of Varys kind of not knows what goes on, is going on, but it's like, sure. Theon Greyjoy, you're going to marry. Gotcha. I'll sit on mm-hmm. this one for a little bit, but mm-hmm. he outsmarts Baelish and, and Cersei yeah. to me. It's one of the two moments where Baelish and Cersei are behind in the game. And I love that too. And it, and I love the Baelish thing even more given the second scene. Yes. Because when Baelish realized he's been played and he's like, I don't, you know, want to be involved in your charades anymore. Yeah. And Tyrion's like, oh, that's a pity. Cause I've got a doozy of an idea <laughs> that you could be at the center of. And yeah. it, he knows that that's enough to hook Peter. He understands Peter probably better than almost any other character on the show. So right. And Peter is the kind of character who is actually never, you never get the sense he wants to be king. He yeah. wants to be the guy behind the king pulling all of the strings. Yeah. But he still does want some of the acknowledgement. That's the thing. He's not nobly born into one of these great houses like these other characters are. He's a little higher up on the hierarchy than, say, like Avaris. But he's still power hungry. He's still he, The idea of being Lord of Harrenhal and the Lord of the Riverlands, is, that's enticing to him. Yeah. And Tyrion knows that. There's an ego there that he can play around with. Yeah. Uh, he also is astute enough to realize that Peter has a thing for cat and, you know, plays that absolutely brilliantly. And, you know, his ending aside, um, I know a lot of people, people had an issue with uh, Mm. how Peter Baelish went out. It is very satisfying in this moment, knowing all the other ways that Peter is usually ahead of the game to see Mm. him behind the eight ball. Like, I just think that that's a lot of fun, especially because it's a one, two punch in the circumstance. It's a great moment. And, and as I've, I've mentioned it, but uh, uh, in that book I've been reading uh, the one person who did like the ending, Aiden Gillen 
So interesting. interesting. Yeah. He, he felt it uh, lined up with who he was as a child and uh, the character was. It's, it's fascinating stuff. I, I love, and again, not, what, what an actor says or believes isn't necessarily the final, you know, the, the final judgment on, on plots and everything, but I always love from what he brought into it. And it does tie to this type of stuff too, of when he can get um, bested, but also what you say with, 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 with Tyrion kind of dang, dangling cat, that immediately pulls Baelish in and everything else. Maybe he's less worried about you, but he wants to focus on, on that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And Cersei uh, behind, I mean, uh, it, it, there's a trick uh, played on her. It's, uh, you know, it's not one of her giant losses, but it exposes the weakness. One of her weaknesses, which is also her strength, which is her, her love of her children. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at this moment and maybe it's because I'm also, again, I'm, I'm, I'm also ahead in season five too. So I'm watching this, all at once is season five. She tries to get so far ahead of it. She tries to be like Tywin. She tries to take out the Tyrells and in a way succeeds. Um, and sometimes, it, you know, she makes some mistakes. But going back to this where I got to think she's just one of this is one of the times she she we always say this about Danny, but just like doesn't ever want to be in that position where she doesn't have the power or, or can't make these kind of choices. She wants to be in control, understandably. Yeah. Come to the kids. Yeah. Her scene is is. I just think, again, going back, I, I think Lena Headey was doing so much more than we realized early on. And there's moments where it's obvious, like <laughs> the scene with her and Robert in season one. But even something like this scene, I yeah. think another sort of thread in the episode is one that you've touched on in other episodes before, but this idea of trauma. Yeah. But specifically how we react to it, um, you know, all of these characters have seen and done and been a part of terrible things. That's the whole you're in Aria at the end. Like, how do you deal with the things that you've seen? How do you deal with the things that you've done? How do you deal with the things you've gone through? How do you deal with trauma? You know, does it, you know, and we can go to the title with it. What is dead may never die, but rises again, harder and stronger. So can you rise above the trauma? Can you react in such a way that you become harder and stronger? Like that's the question all these characters have to ask themselves. And Cersei has had trauma in the general sense of just being a woman in this world and having been used as a puppet by her father and the court in general and having to have to marry Robert when she was supposed to marry Rhaegar and then, you know, having to have a, a secret love with the only person she actually cares about Jamie and her children. Like there is a lot of trauma there. And then Tyrion comes along and not only tries to, you know, make a marriage pact with the Martells who hate yeah. the, the Lannisters. He's not wrong there. Um, not only does he do that, he then paints a really ugly picture for her. Yeah. In terms of she says she won't be safe in Dorne. He's like, how safe do you think she's here? Right. If our enemies storm King's Landing and break through, which very well could happen because they've got Rob on one front, Stannis on another, Renly on another. Like they're they're kind of searching for, uh, you know, they're surrounded by enemies. Yeah. And he paints a picture where he's like, they storm. They won't hesitate to rape murder and post your child's head on a pike right next to yours and that's too much for cersei she physically pushes him yeah you know like to me that was the line and this also is she's hated Tyrion all along this might be the point of no return for her this might be why she is willing to go to all the lengths she's later willing to go to 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 end him yeah, You know, and we know the lengths that she goes to, but I really do think that you can trace it back to this moment. The look on her face when she realizes she's going to lose her daughter, that her daughter is going to have to go through potentially the same trauma that she did, having mm-hmm. this forced alliance with people that don't actually like you very much. And you could, you know, she's her one redeeming quality, protect my children. And she's being taken out of that equation here by somebody that she already despises. And then for him to paint that picture on top of it, I was like, yeah, nope, I kind of get this break moment from her. <laughs> I think it's a great observation, Rachel, because, yeah, we, we it's painted early on that they don't, you know, they don't get along. We get it. But they, they have some moments in season two that are, I won't say touching, for them touching. Uh, he, yeah. he makes her uh, he makes her laugh a couple times. Right? The great family mm-hmm. scenes. But I think you're right uh, because he knows right where to get her. And and. And I don't think he's doing this to get her. He's doing this for the no. realm. 
but yep. he's got, and he's do he's being logical about it. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong about what could happen to her, how the Martells would treat her, how she would be no. safer there. Yeah. Like, but it's just the wrong way. He's, it's the way he talks to Shay too, for yeah. as much of a, people person as he is for as much as he does understand how to communicate most of the time there's certain characters he can't communicate he can't like figure out how to say what he needs to say to them so that they will understand the logic because his he's so smart he's like why can't everybody just be as smart as i am why can't everybody just understand the language i'm using but shay doesn't in this in, in this scene that they have and Cersei's certainly not going to understand when he's painting a picture like that. She's not going to see it the way he's trying to get her to see it. Yeah. Uh, there. Do you think, um, do you think here, this is just, just breaking down the scene beat by beat. Cause you're so right about the Cersei stuff, everything you're saying about Tyrion and Shay. Uh, love it. Love it. He, he's right. He's pretty high. He's chuffed. He's one. He's, he's, yeah. he's by, by Pycelle, Varys, Bailey, she's pulled us off. He's telling Cersei what it is. It is what it is. Um, and her response, there is a moment where she's, she's threat. It's one of her first big giant, you know, you ash in your mouth type of threats mm-hmm. from Cersei to him. And he kind of has that feeling of, uh, not that he bit off more than he can chew, but just like, oh, this is different. <laughs> this is different. Uh, the relationship's absolutely, I got to try to, not save it, but just maintain whatever it is around it. I, anyways, I, 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 don't, I don't have any great theory beyond that. I just love that moment is, is, is putting that against what you're saying about Cersei, about him realizing, looking back, he's reflected. He's the mirror reflecting back like, oh, she's mad. Yeah, that piece of paper is not going to protect you. Didn't protect Ned. Yeah. So be careful. <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, uh, I think a little bit. Later on, you know, later on, and uh, during the riot episode, when when Marcellus finally shipped off, I think he. But but now he knows. He's he's. Yeah. You know, there's that great look there. Uh, one of the other, uh, we we can go back to the game one as needed here, but I got to talk about this idea. Just there's there's a whole what I call the hard truths, but also sacrificing who you are for something bigger, and where's the value in that, and is it always wrong? And I look at, you know, Renly, you know, by the by the way of, of the world, has to kind of hide who he really is, you know, unfortunately, but he has to make it, uh, sacrifice that for a bigger cause. Uh, he has no really choice. Um, Sansa's playing the part. She's she's not, she's growing as a character. We know that. I would say, I don't want to say that she's sacrificing herself, but she's trying to play the game, trying to play the part and trying to, she has to swallow a lot of, a lot of uh, fear and anger and sadness and everything in this world. She's lost alone in this world. But I really want to focus all that. There's the Theon one, but also Jor Mormont. Um, at the beginning of this, uh, we're, we're picking up where we left off and in, in, in the, with the Nightlands uh, with Craster discovering John, John discovering Craster. And that moment with Jor and and John, where John's just kind of like, and, and then and then and then they took the kids and then the boy and then the, and and oh wait, you know, Wilding serve crueler gods than you and I. Uh, these boys are his offerings. This has come up. This came up um, with the, some caller questions about Jor Mormont and sacrificing who he is or who the Night's Watch is supposed to be is just a collective. And it does come back to get him in the end. What are your thoughts on just that statement? I have a character I think you and I both, we, we like our Mormonts. I, I love my Mormonts. We know that. But but Jor, I, Jor's a good character. He's a good guy. But he is he has sacrificed something for this, right? Absolutely. And it's from John's perspective, it's just another in a long line of things that are gonna happen that have to, you know, eventually, as Eamon says, kill the boy. Right. You have to realize that the world isn't black and right. You have to realize that compromises are made. And that's a journey that mm. he has to go on and he's probably one of the better characters to understand what the balance is because everybody's trying to figure out that balance. Ned couldn't Rob Stark ultimately won't be able to will John. And he's, he eventually does by looking at people. I mean, Jor's like a a mentor, a hero to him. And I see this moment as a little bit of a like disappointment in your heroes. Your heroes will disappoint you. They will do things that, you don't think that they would ever do. And you think to yourself that you would never do, but you are also making a good point. You know, we turn a blind eye to this and in return, how many night's watch members have been saved by Craster? Yeah. What's the, what's 
you know, where's the line? Do you draw the line at this terrible thing that he does? Yeah. If you do, then how many of your brothers will die because of it? Like those are the questions that have to be asked and different characters will come up with different answers. And ultimately one of the things the show does so well, is it not really a right or wrong answer here? I mean, ultimately probably in this instance, not a good thing to have done. Right. But it's still the idea that John has to go through this journey to see things from a different perspective, that the world is full of compromise and full of this gray area. And you have to find where your line is that Mm. is also applicable to surviving in this world. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things where the more, when I go back, one of my favorite things to watch is John's arc. I think Kit Harrington gets better over the course of it, but I also love all of these little moments. And, you know, this season, once he meets up with the wildlings, he's going to be tested even more. And you, you can trace it. It's very, very clear. Um, And this is just one of the moments along the way that helps sort of disabuse him of some of his old ways of thinking and helps him form a new, you know, point of view. Yeah. It's I'm fascinated by that. I'm fascinated (laughs) with eight seasons behind uh, even beyond some of my favorite characters, the Stannises and the Manses and the Davoses and, and the Jors that I love and the, my, my crusty old guys that I love, I I cannot just... I, I get excited thinking about John and Daenerys and their stories, their lessons, their failings, their mistakes. Not even about, you know, again, I'm, I don't try to look at it as, as, a, as a critique or review of what happened on the show. Just what these characters characters experienced and learned is fascinating to me. And John, the boy who would be king, who does not become king, uh, to your point, Rachel, it, it's it's... It, it, I love little moments like this, powerful moments, the look on his face, the realization, and that he then, I don't think he lies to Mance. I think he's tr- lying in a way to Mance to become mm-hmm. a wilding, but he, he goes back to this moment and, and is probably yeah. like, I don't like that, but yeah. I've got to. And Jor, I don't, I think it's, a, with hindsight, it's it's a mistake. But even then, right. and we did talk about it on the phone call episode last week of just like, hey, you know, you had a feeling you knew there's some whites one tried to kill you in your office you, you you know why you're up there whether you believe it or not and it's been a thousand years but it's hard to say he made a mistake in this moment because it, it i think it had to be done you you have to unfortunately work with craster unfortunately right. but it does chip away at you and that's part of, of the course. too mm. yep which might be thinking aloud here i'm going through john's other working with the wildings is not uh, free folk and joining, and that's that's a that's a corn half and hatch plan, and then and and Egret's not a sacrifice of who he is. It's it's a, it's a growth thing for him uh, and, and for her, and a beautiful relationship for what it is. All the violence with arrows in your back, notwithstanding. John, I want he. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think what he learns from this. Does he what he what he applies in the in the future, and it might be the the working with the free folk it might be trying to go be make some peace with Mance. he was going to go kill him but then later on uh and the stuff he's saying to torment i don't know i i there's some things that i want to go back and study about what he takes from this specific lesson the stuff the excellent stuff you're talking about rachel where he applies it later on fascinating yeah i mean as much as crasser is i think a pretty clear-cut bad guy yeah, and, and if you want to put it there is still you you still understand jor's choices yeah. with his involvement with him yeah. and i think that it's i think the larger just general lesson is you know don't things don't take things at face value don't take people at face value you can't just make quick judgments based on you know, what you see in a moment or in a few days or whatnot, you have to think about bigger picture. You have to think about what roles people can play, even if they're not a good person, they have done good things or that they're a piece in a larger puzzle to accomplish something. So Mm. I think it's a small stepping stone for him to reconsider the wildlings again, because he's got preconceived notions and he's just thinking of them in one way. Enemies, bad people, terrible people, mean, cruel, like killers. Like what what we've been told. Yeah. Right. Uh, But he's going to learn that they're actually people. 
and that what drives them are some of the same things that drive him and the people that he loves. And it's about seeing the world from their perspective. You would look at the world the same way if you were raised under the same set of circumstances. So that's, you know, one of the things that, you know, he learns to do better than most characters, which is stop judging people offhand and based on, you know, what you have been told this total time, make your own opinion. Love it. Great stuff. Great stuff. The final big theme lesson story. You touched upon it a little bit. I do want to address it's the title of the episode. What does dead man ever die? But you're right to follow up with a full quote there about, yeah, Yeah. and and rise, rises again, stronger, better, faster. Uh, It's like a car commercial. Uh, Theon is facing a hard truth here, which is, uh, you know, um, uh, his family, uh, you, you know, you mentioned M.I. Stark, M.I. Greyjoy. At this point, he's working with Starks. I think he would love to say he is, but he knows he's not. He tells Rob that in other episodes. And here he goes home, and you're right. He does everything about it, all the stuff with, with Arya, uh, Arya, Yara, excuse me. A lot, of R, a lot of R's and A's and Y's in the show. Uh, with Yara, Asha, um, all that stuff, that scene, we talked about that one with uh, Michelle, um, and and he comes in there with his his fine cape and his uh, his uh, store bought armor and <laughs> faces uh, the hard truth of his past and 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 he's right in the middle of this real tough tough spot um, and makes this fatal decision decision uh, the letter it is it, uh, the the burning of the letter that would have warned Rob of everything and and then the baptism again show uh, kind of a show adjustment. I love that scene. Uh, I love the burning of of that scene there. Let's dive into the Theon of it all here, Rachel. What do you have for for this and and Balon, who's not a he's not a loving dad. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, I do love that particular moment because Theon's just getting browbeaten. Like yeah. he comes in with this great plan. I love that he calls himself. I'm a proven warrior. And what do you know of it, woman? Like he's just on his high horse. So you kind of can't blame them for like knocking him off of it. Yeah. But the the moment that really hits home for me and ties into a little bit of what this Dior John dynamic is, is that Theon actually comes back at him and is like, you gave me up. Yeah. You like passed me off to people that you're, you know, you're telling me right now that I can't have any kind of relationship with, or I can't bend the knee Mm -hmm. to, or have have fealty to you did it. You bent the knee to them. And then you turned your only living son over to them. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of, again, he was failed by the person he's supposed to look up to. Yeah. This is supposed to be the person you want to, the approval of and who has earned that from you. Now he hasn't earned that from Theon, but he's in a place where he's desperately searching for somebody to prove himself to like, that's not how he's thinking of it, but he's looking for a place to fit in. He's looking for people to approve of what he's done with his life or what he's accomplished, which really isn't anything at this point, but he doesn't see it that way. Yeah. He's got Um, a couple good sword fights. He saved Bran. Other than that, not much. I mean, yeah, I mean, 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 comparatively speaking, it's it's such an interesting way of looking at yourself versus how other people see you. And that's his journey, ultimately. But I do really love that scene. I mean, the Ironborn way we do not sow and all of it is terrible. (laughs) Raving and reaping and and ravaging and and all of this stuff. But at the same time, you're going to have to like hand it to a group of people who are who they are and embrace that and you know, you can kind of understand why he's sort of disgusted at Theon's way of doing things, comparatively speaking. Um, And I love the letter scene, too. That was a a Cogman ad. Um, Just to give us, again, with the books, the everything is perspective in terms of the chapters being written. And sometimes you don't live in moments that would be the turning points. Martin didn't always do that. So you have a moment here where you have a manifestation of the struggle. Do I warn Rob that my father is about to invade his kingdom or do I give up on Rob and join my father in doing this? And he ultimately chooses the latter. And then you have that baptism scene where you hear where you have the whole quote about, you know, rising harder and stronger. And that's what Theon wants, which is why I think he makes that choice. I think Ned died, you know, and, and Theon knows that Theon saw 
that father figure die for his beliefs and could see that as a weakness, could see that as that's not the way I want to go. Mm -hmm. And if my father is leading this particular charge in this particular way, then maybe this is where I can thrive and shine and ultimately receive the approbation that I want. Absolutely. A lot of great stuff there, Rachel. This, uh, for, uh, first of all, the, the, the Balon stuff, uh, Balon Greyjoy, I, I wrote down Balon stopping, thinking and going when, 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 when Theon is giving him the hard truths, speaking of hard mm-hmm. truths, there's that moment where Balon kind of stops his back's turned to him. Uh, and I, I, you know, he knows Theon's right. He knows his son's right, but there's no way he's going to change. And that's not the point of that there. And this, uh, you know, you've laid out to me, what is Theon's, entire arc in a way and making it a positive version of uh we, we are ironborn we, we we take we we earn it we don't buy it um you know we we, we do not so um um I, I think that is in the end theon it's not necessarily just about becoming a stark or Greyjoy, but spiritually Standing there, protecting Bran, becoming, uh, you know, protecting everything in that moment and, and being a Stark in the end. Like, Theon earns it. He earns all of it. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't pay the gold price. He pays the iron price all through his life and does eventually merge, even in through death, maybe even stronger. And and there, therefore, you know, the idea of what is dead may never die. I, you know, Theon, uh, his, his legend will live on and, and, and songs will sing his name now. And and to me, he earned that. And that, that, that goes to some of this stuff uh, being put across here in, in, in season two, episode three for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because I remember the first few times I read the books and how much after they got sort of over the, you know, mm. left turn that you took to get to know the gray joys beyond yeah. Theon um, <laughs> really fell in love with the, with the iron islands and their way of life. And yeah. at first glance, you're kind of like, they're no, they're terrible. They're pirates of the worst kind. They do terrible things. They like take women off and do, and like pillage and 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 all of these things. But I get why people are drawn to it because it's the thing at the core, yeah. which is you know we earn this. We take what we want. We don't you know bow down. We don't let anybody tell us what to do. We don't you know plant the crops. We take them. Like there's there's something at the core that is kind of commendable they they eke out this living on these god-awful islands and they're proud of it you know like there's there's things within that culture that are appealing and i think that that's one of the great things martin does is to have all these different cultures and have them be so appealing in different ways i mean you could say similar things about the jethraki not very nice people (laughs) really when you think about the things that they do but you're still drawn to them because you're drawn to cal drogo and you're drawn to the idea that they actually do revere their women in some yeah. ways. And that you're drawn to ways, this yeah. nomadic, um, you know, warrior, like there are things there. Yeah. that you can, st- that you can fall in love with, even as they're doing really terrible things. Uh, you and I are in the same mind of the Greyjoys. joys. Um, I, I think that has to do with a little more of the books and uh, which is uh, on our rewatch. We don't focus a lot on the books, but, you know, yeah, you're right. It is a left turn when you want the King's mood and all that stuff is, is far better in the books. And they, they, they took a good swing at it in the show. I, I, you're on in, and in the end, not one of my favorite characters, but I think they took some big swings and, and, and it was, it was what it was. But um, yeah, I think because of the books, I'm, I'm fascinated. I've been continuously fascinated by it. And it might be this weird coat of honor at the center of them, uh, of them all. Um, uh, you know, not nice folk, like you said, for a lot of their actions. Same with the Dothraki. Same with a lot of people, people in this yeah. world. But it is of the time. It is. Of, it is of the world. It's why I love. Uh, you know, Taiwan does what I think is right in terms of the what the world demands. But does I don't doesn't mean I think he's a great guy for for it, and yeah. definitely not a great father. So I I'm with you too. I I know a lot of people don't enjoy the Greyjoy stuff as much as I do, but I think uh, I got to say I kind of enjoy it. I just like that it's something very different and it makes yeah. you think. Makes you think. That's all we want to do is just go yeah. on a, you know, a, a, a storm, be, stormy beach with waves and just think. Um, uh, Rachel, in the time we have left here, let's go. Let's look at We love doing this, the foreshadowing, but also just things with more meaning, things that when you go back and watch now, even, you know, folks like you and I who've just done this rewatch over and over and over and over and we'll do it again and we'll do it again we love this world we love this story 
Um, I love the little moments where you even now go back and go, oh, or, oh, or, oh, God, that, that's, that's going to hurt later. Uh, what are some yeah. of the ones that you had here? I definitely sort of mentioned, you know, Bran and Kat meeting for the first time, knowing where that relationship goes, how it evolves. And then again, onto her daughters. Um, it's it, I think there's another layer when you watch the initial meeting now because of that yeah. kind of weird they don't really quite get each other, but I do think that there's a glimmer of recognition in terms of the strength that each of them possesses that will later unite them. Yeah. Um, and then I, I just get a kick out of, um, you know, Bran has another wolf dream and he decides to talk to Maester Lewin about it. Yes. And uh, we get the explanation about the Valyrian steel uh, link on his Maester's chain. And he just talks about like, it's just a dream. You know, the dragons are gone. The giants are dead the children of the forest have forgotten. And you're like, nope, nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> I, I put it, In the long run, yeah, I, you're a very wise and great character, but you're dead wrong on these. It, yeah, <laughs> I, I literally put the note of, yeah, it's Brandon Summer, Worgen his way forward. We're going to get more of that. Maester Lewin telling Brandon, these are just dreams and Brandon, no, mine are, my, my dreams are different, mine are true. Yeah, and that line that you said down, and it's literally like, yep, you are um, everything, everything you just heard, kid, it's happening yeah. to you. <laughs> It's going to happen. I absolutely love that. There's some stuff I was watching in season five about Danny where I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just literally told us everything right there. It's uh, I love those moments when you go back and because, yeah, we all love, love Maester Lewin. I love Maester Lewin. But you're just like, oh, oh, brother, man, you're you're not getting it. You're off. You're off base here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love uh, speaking of that, Joe Mormont. Uh, when when John explaining, he's like, I saw one of them, or you know, and, and mm-hmm. George says, whatever it was, I dare say you'll see it again. Yep, you will. Yep, <laughs> it'll take down. A- <laughs> big why? Um, we talked uh, a lot about the the cat and uh, brand stuff. There's some great Arya stuff in here, and uh, put it. I put a lot of it in the foreshadowing things with more meaning. Just the Yorn stuff. Love Yorn as a character, and this is his mm-hmm. uh, big send off. And one of the early moments of us getting a big speech followed by a death <laughs> something, <laughs> something that outside the story we'd get uh, we know more of um but yeah are you getting the list idea i mean you kind of overlook the fact that this is where she gets it and she even kind of yep. inadvertently says it she says it to your you know the uh, cersei joffrey ellen Payne. like she starts running through the list as as he yep. tells her yep i repeated willem willem wilma I, I love all the stuff they have together in this scene and i I hadn't picked up on it before, but I absolutely love that the um, scene prior to it is Varys and Tyrion talking about the riddle and power yeah. and Varys's line, which probably the best line in the in the, the show, if we're moving to that, you know, yeah. power resides where men believe it resides. It's a trick, yeah. a shadow on the wall, and a very small man can cast a very large shadow. Yeah. Cut to Arya. Yeah. And I love that it's about Tyrion, obviously, because that's sure. who's in the in, in the conversation that's happening. However, the fact that the very next person that we see is Arya and knowing the journey that she goes on. And it's especially tongue in cheek and fun when you consider the fact that she is playing a boy at the moment. Yeah. It, you know, there's just a lot there mm-hmm. that then, you know, starts the ball rolling in terms of the scene that she has with Yorin, which... Yeah. To me, she's another example of the title, you know, what is yeah. dead might never die, but only comes back harder and stronger. That's her. Yeah. Like she is, she is getting harder and stronger every time we see her. And that's the arc that she goes on. Mm. And she, like everybody else has her mentors along the way. And Yorin yeah. really helps her with finding a way to cope. Yeah. And to to cope with the things that she has seen mm-hmm. um, and to cope with the drama, mm-hmm. here is an actual thing you can do. Yeah. And it's focus on focus on the, that terrible thing you've seen and focus your energy on remembering and working your way towards possibly doing something about it. Yeah. I mean, I do think Yorin, mm-hmm. you know, tries to backstep a little bit and be like, I killed Willem and it it didn't actually result it like as every story you've ever heard, like you want revenge. And then if you get it, it's that you still hollow. It does not fix the thing that you thought it would fix. However, it's a driving force. It's a motivation. And that's the thing that she very much needs in the moment. Um, And I love, love that scene for all of that, because there's just such a very direct 
trajectory that that sets her on. Um, And then the added bonus of, you know, her being a small person who casts a very big shadow is great. And we'll continue. Yeah, no, the, the, your and Arya stuff there, it does contain it, so much positive stuff, uh, like you just said, uh, trauma, coping mechanism, uh, driving her forward. And the look, there's a great Maisie Williams. I mean, she's so amazing. But just when he tells uh, the, that specific moment of I drove you know, an axe so far into to Willem's head, what they had to bury with, bury him with it, whatever, whatever he says, that she look on her face and she kind of shoots up. And, and it's like she focuses on the vengeance aspect. And all the other things are valuable and all those other things that she has and these tools, and they're probably more valuable than the vengeance. But to me, that, that, that goes all the way to the season eight moment with the hound where he's just kind of turned around and echoing what you just said, Rachel, of I'm empty. Yeah. <laughs> I'm empty. You don't want to be this. You don't want to be this. Not, not the rest of your life. You've got some vengeance. She did some good vengeance. Uh, she got sure, the big yeah. kill. Arya's done some great things, but now it's time to go sail west of west. Don't be empty. And, and again, goes back to this moment so great observation from you rachel just what all that scene means for aria and the lessons and themes in that scene for her yeah it's uh, a great scene it's beautiful and it ends unfortunately the episode but also ends i, I it's, it's 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 really one of my favorite episodes uh, favorite episodes but also my favorite moments in the show it really is this is why i love season two so much and i think you're right when you set it up top just you find more more and more out of season two when you go back and it rewards you but Little things like Jag and Hagar, uh, Polliver and Needle, but just it does end so painfully. The horns start blowing, uh, blaring and blowing, and you know Yorin's uh, days, minutes are our number. But um, uh, that final scene, I don't know. It just it does uh, it means a lot going forward for Arya, and that's why it just uh, I'll 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 I'll, I'll, cho- I'll choose to focus on the lessons, not Yorin's tragic death. You know? Yeah. But it just adds to it for her, right? Because yeah. Polliver ends up on her list. It just adds to yeah. the things that she has seen, the things that she has to deal with. You know, she's got her list in the barn and now she has to add to it both Yorin's death and then yeah. what Polliver does to Lamy. So it's it's sort of, it starts, it feeds itself in, in a way. But now she has the mechanism. Now she yeah. knows that, you know, vengeance, revenge, things to help motivate her. And, you know, every time we see her before she goes to sleep, we'll be hearing that list of names. We'll be hearing it from there on out. And, uh, Yorn's death. I'm not, I'll put it in the Boromir category. If, if you're going to go, go out tough. It takes like a lot of them to take him out. Yeah. It was like, he's like fighting like five guys. Yeah. <laughs> I have always hated crossbows. Um, yeah. that's a bad yarn. Uh, favorite moments, lines and scenes. Uh, uh, I love specifically, the intro to Brienne's great and layer, like you said, but I just asking for a place on Renly's Kingsguard is an awesome a moment and everyone's reaction. And, and I love Renly for it. And Renly, they got that little bit of history that we learned a little bit later on of, of uh, Brand the beauty and in, in him at the dance and all that stuff. But I love that moment. And then Renly in this, in this horrible world, I really do believe Renly to be one of the good ones. And I like that sequence too, of just her asking for that, you know? Yeah, I think that Renly is meant to. He's he's clearly a a a good soul, a people person, a person who like when he's walking with Cat and he's talking to the guy leading the horse. Like he has, he's like I'm, he's the leader who knows everybody's name. Yes, he's the yes. leader who maybe is not you know twelve chess pieces ahead in terms of the Game of Thrones the way that Tyrion or Marjorie or Peter yeah. seem to be, but he is somebody who recognizes in the moment like with Brienne that there is something good in this that there is you know this person is utterly devoted and loyal to me and will put their life on the line for me that is an important thing to have in my very precarious position um and you also want to think given their history that he understands what that means to her as well um so yeah i agree renly is one of the good ones which is why he's not gonna last long (laughs) yeah which is not gonna last um (laughs) not gonna last uh, yes, yeah, so I have some other favorite quotes and stuff. We've come to a dangerous place. Uh, I love that from Tyrion. Uh, small, the small council gets smaller every day. Power securest thing. Power resides where men believe it resides. You've already said those ones are just timeless Game of Thrones quotes. Uh, what are some yeah. of the other ones that uh, you had? Um, it, it, I, almost anything Tyrion and Peter or Tyrion and Vara yeah. say to each other, but um. Uh, for men in our position, grudges can be an encumbrance, don't you think? Tyrion yeah. to Peter, I love that. Um, language is going to, what is it? Language is, is not going to do me any favors here. Language is going to fail me here when he's talking to yeah. Shay. 
Um, speaking of like, on just a really tiny moment that I really liked mm-hmm. it is Shay and, um, Sansa. Yes. Now for the, for the most part, Sansa's not very nice in that scene, but she's a highborn lady. This is a handmaiden. She has expectations of it. She's got a whole else, lot else going on in her mind. Cause she just had this dinner with Cersei and, you know, had to play the part and, you know, basically say that she's happy to marry Joffrey, even if he kills a brother, like she's in a traumatized place. But the end, when Shay's like, well, then do you just want me to leave? Because clearly I can't please you right now. Yeah. And Sansa's like, no, brush my hair. And my heart breaks in the moment because yeah. it's she is so alone. Yeah. And the idea of a handmaiden who doesn't know what she's doing is a, an annoyance on top of all this other trauma. But having her there is better than having nobody. Yeah. She's she feels that alone. And, and I re- I just, that struck me um, yeah. when I watched it this time, particularly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely glad I, I put a note for that scene too, of uh, calling it also a true glance at Shay, meaning, you know, Sibyl, Sibyl, uh, uh, Sibyl Kekele just turned this role into something completely different in the books in yeah. a great way. George R. R. Martin talks about loving it a lot and we know where the character ends up and therefore where the character ends up, you can, I don't say she's a hated character, but there's a lot of boo hiss for what she does, right? Because sure. we love Terry. But I love going back to this moment um, because a lot of that's just what's on top of the world as it crushes down on her and the situation she's in and, and what she's trying to accomplish. I love this moment, too. It's great for what you said with Sansa, who is alone. Season two is a lot about Sansa being alone to have this ally. But their connection their connection is real and grows out of this. And I, I think it's a, yeah. a look at, at Shay, just one of those good moments of like, hey, you know, she was she 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 made some tough, bad decisions later on, but there there's definitely a heart that beats there, and I love that for Shay too. Yeah, definitely. All right, we are about wrapping up here, looking at uh, season two, episode three. What is dead may never die. Some episode stars: uh, Francis McGee, Natalie Dormer, but uh, Rachel, come on, Gwendolyn Christie showing up as Brienne. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's the thing I was looking forward to the most, and she didn't disappoint in any way, shape, or form. I absolutely love that in the fight where she beats Loris, she doesn't. They both lose their weapons, so she just tackles them. Yeah. That's how she wins. It's just such a, a a small thing, but just the right kind of a touch and yeah. her her utter devotion to the honor and the yeah. the idea of knighthood. Like it, it's clearly so so important to her um and she doesn't get a ton of lines but it's i love her last line and she delivers it so perfectly because she's very proper and 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 stoic through all of her scenes up until when she walks away with catelyn her last line to catelyn is um brienne is fine uh you know i'm no lady and the way she says it is like oh there's the crack in the armor yeah. there's the story there's where there's yes. something more going on here and she yeah. just nailed that line so perfectly because yes. she's not she doesn't want to be called lady brienne that's not what she identifies with because of all of this history uh and you see that in that one little line in that one little moment yeah absolutely do i would uh never was gonna doubt that you were paying attention to every word of brianna tarth and that's one of the great yeah. ones there uh love it and we are uh, going to uh keep the season two rewatch going like said next week and uh got some great stuff coming up season two again uh, you're right rachel it, it is it it's it start of it's it's side of it's sort of the format for every season past season one up until eight where you don't get a nine but like every every year you'd hear the same complaint especially once i started covering the show and podcast and youtube show worlds you know uh this is kind of slow i wish they just get to it i wish you just get to it and it's like every season trust me it gets to it. But season two is the first to kind of face that face that kind of uh, microscope. And, and uh, I think it's stood the test of time. So, yeah. And every, everything leads there. These yeah. aren't, you know, like, I don't think when you get to it, whatever it is in every season, yeah. it doesn't land. If you don't have the, the launch to get there, if you don't have all the pieces that yeah. happen to get the characters to that place. And it's frankly what I missed about the final two seasons is with shorter seasons, you didn't have that. So, you know, people were getting from A to B really fast when we were used to this idea of a slightly slower development. You have these character moments, everything that happens in these scenes informs 
all the decisions these characters make in the bigger moments. Yeah. And that's why rewatching is so rewarding and helps, you know, I mean, hard home is probably my favorite episode of all time, but yeah. kissed by fire is right up there and not as much action happens there, but it's totally, the yeah. moments, it's the characters, it's the building towards the bigger moments. So um, I think that there's a lot to be said about revisiting these episodes with that, in mind and i think yeah. you'll be really rewarded when you think about it that way rewarded indeed rewarded indeed well we have been rewarded by rachel cushing coming in here to talk about brienne of tarth and game of thrones always appreciate it when you can uh, join us here at castle talk more on the way without a doubt but rachel i always uh you know say you know, give the you know the my co-host a chance to tell about, about tell us uh, what they're working on but you got some cool stuff going on in the schmodown world right yeah, still hanging out there. I'm the co-host of Schmodown Backstage on Tuesdays from 1230 to 2.30 Pacific Time. Uh, ben Bateman and I uh, talk about all things Schmodown on the SEN Network. Break down the matches that I thankfully don't have to play in anymore, so it's a lot more fun. And um, yeah, and then I'm just on Twitter and Instagram. Guys, I love talking Game of Thrones and all kinds of other stuff, so please hit me up at uh, Rachel J. Cushing. Absolutely. Do that. Do that. Indeed. The big Schmodown spectacular is on the way. My playing mm-hmm. days, my managing days, my days in the Schmodown are done. So now I can just sit back and watch as a fan. Uh, check that stuff out. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack. Go to KenNapsack.com. As I, uh, we got, uh, I, I can't, I've been taping some of these episodes out of order, so I apologize. Maybe I haven't said this before. Maybe it's on next week's episode, but I want to let you all know this uh, Castle Talk has, has been its own podcast feed, uh, and that's going to be the same going forward forward, especially as we build towards House of the Dragon. Uh, but uh, it's been on my own personal YouTube channel. Uh, we are going to slowly move it in the new year to its own YouTube channel. There'll be no subscribers and no monetization and all that stuff. We're going to build towards that. But there's some cool things coming, some other things I'm working on, and this move is part of that. And this will also allow uh, Lon and Rachel and Andres and others uh, to come on uh, with even more frequency. So stay tuned for that. More information coming. So until until then, and until next week, when we break down uh, season four, episode four, uh, which of course is uh, going to be a Garden Bones with Mark Kamar from the Feeding the Monster podcast. That is next week. We'll see you then here on Casterly Talk. <laughs>